Our text is Galatians 5, the last part of verse 23 through 26. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. After the sermon, let's sing together hymn 67, stanzas 1, 3, 5, 6, and 7. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, our text begins with a provocative line against such things there's no law. By provocative, I mean that on the one hand, it sounds incredibly interesting, but on the other hand, I haven't got the foggiest idea what Paul's talking about. What's that mean, against such things there is no law? Now, the such things, that's the fruit of the Spirit. So he's talking about, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. Against such things, says Paul, there is no law. What does that mean? We have a hint in verse 14 when he writes, the entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. Because Paul's talking here about the law, which could be described as the Ten Commandments which is a summary of the entire Word of God. If you think of the Ten Commandments, you have very clear laws. Worship only God, the one God. Honor your father and your mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. These are so clear guidelines for daily living. But where in the entire Ten Commandments do you read about love or joy, peace, patience? It's not there. Now, the Old Testament does go on and, and shows that the law is fulfilled in love, but it's not so clearly seen in the Ten Commandments. It is particularly our Lord Jesus Christ, think of his Sermon on the Mount, or even better yet, Jesus Christ's ultimate servant, his ambassador to the world, the Apostle Paul, who brought to the world a depth and a vision of the, the Word of God and the Gospel that takes people's breath away. And what both Paul and our Lord Jesus Christ basically taught was this. You've got your Ten Commandments, and that's good, but you've got to see through it, and, and you've got to get behind it. And what you have to see is that the Ten Commandments ultimately are fulfilled in things like peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. Now we know that. We should know that. But even think of our Heidelberg Catechism. When it deals with the commandment, you shall not murder, then it explains it in this way. Negatively it says, this forbids envy, Hatred, anger, desire of revenge. And then positively it says, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's talking about murder, okay? Murder. Love your neighbor as yourself. Show patience, peace, gentleness, mercy, and friendliness toward him to protect him from harm as much as we can and to do good even to our enemies. 
So what our Heidelberg Catechism understands is you take the commandment, you shall not murder, you got to dig, you got to penetrate the commandment, get to what's behind it, and that means show kindness and show love. When the Apostle Paul says, against such things there is no law, it can be interpreted in different ways. But what Paul is really saying is, you can't legislate this stuff. You can't have a commandment that, that says so clearly and easily, be kind. Be kind, I'll, I'll tell you, be kind. How many of here, you here would say, I'm kind? Are you really? Is that what people around you think you are? It's hard to legislate. It's hard to make a law for it. But the point is that when you belong to Jesus Christ, when you live by the Spirit and are led by the Spirit, you understand that to keep the commandments of God goes deep and it goes rich and it goes to things like kindness, peace, and patience, and so on. You know, looking at this passage that we have here in Galatians 5 makes us realize just how blessed we are as Church of Jesus Christ. We don't scratch the surface. We're not content with the simple commandment like don't murder or don't steal or don't commit adultery. We go so deep, so rich. And if you understand this and embrace it, the kind of person that you, you become is absolutely beautiful, amazing, holy people, blameless people, the kind of people that other people want to be with because you know how to love people in a real and, and meaningful way. So we'll look at that this morning under this theme, against such things there is no law. And we'll look at that we, we have crucified the sinful nature, we are to keep in step with the spirit and not become conceited. Now, since Paul has said against such things there is no law, meaning that we have to penetrate the commandments to, to come to a deep and rich understanding, we now see what, where he's going with verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Now, we need to see that in context. Paul has said in verse 17... For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Now we read that passage together, and it's, it's, it's so clear. We got two lists, two drop-down lists, the sinful nature and, and the new nature in the Holy Spirit. The sinful nature is awful. We're talking there about greed and envy and, and bitterness and all these vile things, whereas the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. But you know what, brothers and sisters? As long as any of us are alive in this world, we will never be entirely free from some of those things of the sinful nature. We lie, we steal, we gossip. We have immoral thoughts. The life of a Christian is something of a tug of, a, tug of war between the old nature and the new nature. Sometimes you feel like a ping pong ball being batted back and forth. I want to live like this, but woe is me. This is the, the kind of life I lead. Now that can lead to uh, frustration, 
for a Christian to the point that you become despondent and bitter and you're ready to just surrender. Say, look, I'm a sinner. That's the kind of guy I am. If I gossip or if I, if I fly off in a ra towering rage, that's just the kind of guy I am and that's the way I'm going to be as long as I am in this world. That's, that's unchristian thinking. That's not what the gospel teaches us. And that's why Paul says here that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. A crucify is a powerful image. When someone's crucified, he's nailed to the cross. They drive spikes through a person's hand and through his feet, and they nail him to the cross there, and they smash his legs, and they humiliate him. It is a horrible, excruciating, vivid death. It was particularly true for our Lord Jesus Christ, and his pain wasn't simply physical. It was emotional and spiritual. Because every bit of pain he felt was for the sins that he bore, our sins, and the rage of God against him. But what Jesus Christ did is he nailed our sins to the cross. When he died and was buried, our sins were buried with him washed away, forgiven, not to be held against us anymore. And that's only the half of it. Paul says in Romans 6 that we know that our old self was crucified with him so the body of sin might be done away with and we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. What that means is anyone who belongs to Jesus Christ, those who believe in him and Lord and Savior, and who are renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit, have died with Christ, have been raised up to a, a new nature. That old sinful nature of mine, it's crucified. It's nailed to the cross. It's buried in the depths. I'm a new man, or, or I'm a new woman, I'm a new child, able to live to the praise and the glory of God. That idea that I'm a sinner, and that's the kind of guy I am, and I'm just going to continue that way, is totally unbiblical. I'm a new person. I'll live my life to the praise and the glory of God. You know, in the Reformation of the 16th century, most people think that the Reformation was all about getting back to the heart of the gospel, which is justification. But when you, when you read Martin Luther and, and you, for instance, read his 95 Theses, which he nailed to the chapel door in Wittenberg in 1518, number one, his number one thesis was, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed that the entire life of believers be one of repentance. Your life, said Martin Luther, coming straight from the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ, is to live a new life. You break with sin. You live to the praise and the glory of God. And you can do it. Mighty fortress is our God. In Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors. Now, this does not say that we won't sin anymore. Even in the Bible, we got David who, who, who murdered and committed adultery. We have Peter who publicly denied his Lord. We're not saying we don't sin. But if you think of our Canons of Dort, chapter 5, when it speaks about the perseverance or the preservation of the saints, and it says there in the beginning of chapter 5 that we are freed from the dominion and slavery of sin but not entirely from, from sinning. We have our struggles. We have our, our fall. But you know what, brothers and sisters, when, I'm, when I sin, it's not the end of the story. 
That's not the kind of guy I am. No, that's the kind of guy I, I, I'm not. That's not me. Not in Jesus Christ. That sin can be forgiven. And I can change. And you know what? That's something that we have to get into our minds as reformed people. Sometimes people talk so much about how bad and, and nasty we are and we can't do any good. Please don't be so pessimistic. Be optimistic. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, we can go from one degree of glory to the next. And in Philippians 2, when, when Paul says that, that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, he says, you can shine like stars in the universe. You know, every day I can improve. I can get better, a better marriage, more honest in my work, kinder in the way that I talk to people and act like you and I, we can change. We can never be perfect in this world. But, but sin is not what defines us. But the Spirit is what defines us. And I can grow. And my life can be one of love, and joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and so on. In Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors over the old sinful nature. Let's be positive about that. Now, Paul's not done with this yet, and, and we're grateful for that because so far we have a, a, a statement, but I, I'd like to see that uh, proven a little bit more by the Apostle Paul, and Paul does not disappoint. And we're in our second point now. Paul says in verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, literally in Greek, Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, then let us keep in step with the Spirit. So if this is true, then that should be true. Okay, now, now you, you answer this for yourself in your mind. If you belong to Jesus, if you live by the Spirit, if you are a Christian, then let the Spirit work in your life for progress for improvement, for change, to, to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And when I say that, some people, and I think young people in my catechism class would say to me, well, that sounds Arminian. And in Reformed circles, anyone who says you're Arminian, well, that's a, that's a huge problem. This is not Arminian. Arminianism is the idea that I make a contribution to my salvation. We're not talking about that here. Paul has made clear salvation is in the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ. But if this is who you are, if you are led by the Spirit, then don't grieve him. Don't hold him back. But let him work richly in your life. Know the Spirit intimately as he lives and dwells in your heart. Rejoice in, in the salvation that you have. And work with it. As Paul said so clearly in Romans 6. You know, put to death the evil desires. And live more and more to the praise and glory of God. There's one old guy who translated this, this line in this way. If God's spirit lives in us, let him govern all our actions. Let him do it. Don't hold him back. That old guy was John Calvin. And 
John Calvin was a solid reformed person. So what the Paul, Apostle Paul is saying here in this passage is, you call yourself a Christian, now you do something about it. There is here in, in Galatians 5 uh, a beautiful vision of what it means to be a, a child of God. And that is to have that rich harvest of the Holy Spirit, a fruit that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul has said, against such things there's no law. I can't legislate this. I can't make a law that clearly shows what you have to do. But if you understand what it means to belong to Jesus and be led by the Spirit, then you will know where you are going in your life and how, how to live it. You know, there in uh, Matthew 19, you have the rich young ruler who came to the Lord Jesus. And he said, you know, I've, I've kept all the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Man, he even figured that out, that the law is fulfilled in love. And then Jesus Christ brought his world crashing down around him. And when he said, what do I still lack? Then Jesus said, you know, what I really want is your heart. And he couldn't give that. That's what God wants. Not, not the Ten Commandments with a checkoff list. He wants your heart. He wants you as, as someone who belongs to Jesus Christ to think about what it means to serve God and to do that in the most meaningful and in the richest way possible. Like a, a, a life of joy. Are you a joyful Christian? Lover of peace? kind to people around, patient, generous, humble, and full of self-control in your marriage, in your family, in the church community. You know, brothers and sisters, this is, this is a tall order, but it's something that, you know, after this morning, we better think about very carefully. You're going to get in your car probably after this service and drive home. What are you going to talk about with your friend or your spouse or your children. We need to talk about these things. My wife needs to say to me, you know, you talk the fine talk, but what about kindness? What about being gentle? What about self-control? Are we doing that? Are we striving for it? Are we showing it in our lives? We need to talk about this today, Wednesday, Friday night has to be on our mind and change our lives. This should be a matter of prayer. We understand, brothers and sisters, that we never come to a point in our lives where we say, I've reached a, a plateau because you're always improving, you're always growing. You never do enough. But don't get down on yourself either when you do fall. Life is a struggle and we live by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And as we walk with Him, we keep in step with Him more and more life will be to the praise and glory of God. Now in the final verse, and this is our third point, Paul zeroes in on a practical matter. This is what the transformed life of a Christian looks like, specifically, he says in verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Obviously there was a problem in Galatia. Galatia is not just one congregation. 
It's a number of congregations in the area of southern Galatia. You've got Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Derby, Lystra, and possibly more. We don't know what the problem was. We understand the nature of the problem, conceit that resulted in provoking and envying each other. Paul really opens up an understanding about what human pride is all about. When you provoke somebody, when you envy somebody, Paul says, the problem is not that person. I'm going to provoke you, or I'm going to envy you. The problem's not you. The problem is me. I become conceited. The problem here is, is that people are filled with pride of who they are, and then they look down on others, and that becomes a huge problem. Now, in my understanding of the, the fruit of the Spirit, there's a lot of aspects to this, but the one thing that really comes out with the Apostle Paul is how you think about other people and how you think about yourself. Pride is so dangerous. And certainly in our world today, man has become so self-centered, narcissistic is the psychological term, so full of himself that he's totally prepared to walk on anyone around him to achieve his, his goals. This has been a philosophy of education, secular education, for decades already. Soon after I left high school, I heard from, from younger brothers who at that time there wasn't a, a Christian school for the last high school grade. They had what was called the life raft experiment, and that was to inspire self-confidence. So you're in a boat, and the boat sinks, but there's a life raft. Whoever gets in the life raft can be saved. So you got 15 students, and, and the 15 students are told there's only room for 12 people in the life raft. So three are going to have to drown. And so what we have to determine is who is the most important people they get in the life raft. So one guy says, well, I, I want to become a doctor and heal people. Well, you get in the raft. We, the world needs you. Another person says, I, I want to become a teacher and I want to teach the youth. You better get in the life raft and, and be saved. And the next guy says, I, I want to build decks and fences. Well, you can drown because we can get more people like that. And that what was happening in, in education at that time was a self-esteem movement that you are defined by how important you are. I am important and you are not, and therefore I will walk over you. In this context, we hear Paul say, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. We may have confidence in our Lord Jesus Christ, the confidence that we are children of God and we are living rich and meaningful lives in this world, but my life is not about me, but my life is about you. It's about you. My life is about my wife. How kind can I be to her and make her blossom? My life within the church community is a communion of saints where, where I care for every person. Are you lonely? Are you straying away? Maybe are you a bit of an un, unpleasant person? Just to love you. I care for you. I want to work to improve your life. Brothers and sisters, 
what the Apostle Paul is speaking about in this passage when he comes to that very climax about the fruit of the Spirit. This is really the heart of what life should look like for a Christian. The tragedy this morning would be that we all nod our heads and say, this is, is true, and it's important. You know, I know what it's like to listen to an inspiring sermon or let's say some presentation by a professor or whatever, another theologian or someone in social work, and be so moved, so stirred, and say, this is phenomenal stuff. Three days later, I can't even remember what the guy said. Because we don't hold it. What Paul has spoken about in this text, you go home and you think about it. I need to think about it. We need to talk about it as husband and wife, parents and children, as friends, as a group of friends. What does this mean? That we who belong to Jesus, we who have the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts, what does it mean to love, to be filled with joy, peace and kindness to one another? When we think about these things, when we pray about them and put it into action, brothers and sisters, our lives become so incredibly beautiful. And we become a people that are amazing to be around because we are there for others, to help them, to make them grow, that we as a community, whether it's a family or friends or a congregation, we grow together, living to the praise and glory of our God. Amen.